0: The scripture we've read, the story of these disciples gathered in a room, the doubting of a one named Thomas, the appearance of our Lord and Savior, risen and alive. Help us, Lord, we commit this service and this message to the end, that we would not only believe, but that we would find life in your name. These things we ask in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Sabbath had ended the day before. That Sabbath was the day that God had given to Israel as a special day. It meant to physically rest. It was never meant to be what it had become for them. It was meant simply to be a day of rest. But because of the scribes and the Pharisees it became such a legalistic thing that they had to gather together. And hence We begin the story with them gathering, and we find them eight days later gathered. You know, Jesus honored the Sabbath, but on this day, the Sabbath is over. It's the first day of the week following the Sabbath. It's the first Easter. And on this day, Jesus will appear at least five times. He'll appear to Mary Magdalene, then he'll appear to the other woman according to Matthew. Luke and, and 1 Corinthians tell us, Very, very uh, shadowy kind of a story of Peter having met the Lord, though he doesn't talk about it. The two on the Emmaus Road have encountered Jesus on this day. And now here in the evening as they gathered together on this first day of the week, much like they had gathered usually at Passover, or, or, or rather at Sabbath, they are gathered on the first day of the week, minus Thomas, and Jesus appears to them. This day came to be known post-resurrection as the Lord's Day. The early church began meeting now on the first day of the week to worship the Lord. They commemorated his death and his resurrection on this day. And when Jesus rose from the dead on that first day, that Sabbath was over. And on the first day of the week, the women came to the tomb. Yesterday, I took my grandson, Janice and I took him to the Akron Zoo. I haven't been to the Akron Zoo since my own kids were little. And as we're roaming around there, and Easton's running us from place to place because he knows it like the back of his hand, I found outside of one of the displays of animals, a motorcycle. And of course, that caught my attention. But it caught my attention for a specific reason. This was a 19 68 Honda Green, black. My dad had a 1968 Honda Green. And when my oldest brother was in high school, he drove that into the side of a car that was crossing an intersection, flew over the car and through the back window of the car he was following, and totaled the Honda Green. I took a picture of it, and I texted it to him, and I said, does this look familiar to you? And he texted back and said, yeah, it's a dream. He said, actually, it was a nightmare when I wrecked it. (laughs) Many, many years ago, when I was a very young pastor, I was asked to identify something. Young mother, little kids, her husband never came home from work the night before. And when they found his car in an accident that nobody knew about, because it was a one car accident, She asked if I would go and see if it was him. And it was. We all have to identify things along life's way. But on this day, the first day of the week, as the disciples gathered together, somebody had to identify something. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. On the evening of that day, The first day of the week. The doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood amongst them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. Do I need to point out to you that they were afraid? The women had actually come and said, We've seen Jesus and he is alive. The two Emmaus disciples were probably in that room with them. They had come and said, We've seen him and he's alive. Of course, A couple of disciples had experienced that tomb empty, but never really saw him. But here they are in this room, afraid. And at the time of their, at least a big, deep fear, is when Jesus chooses to show up. I want to point out to you something that Mark says in Mark 16 14 when he recounts this story. Listen close to how it's different from this verse. Jesus appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Their unbelief, their hardness of heart, their fear of the Jews, they're gathered in this room and they're not at all doing what they should have been doing. They should have been worshiping. They should have been probably outside of the room telling the story that had been told to them, but instead they're huddled up. And on that first day of the week, in their fear, they locked the doors and hoped that the Jews would never come to find them as they had found Jesus. And Jesus appears to them and he says to them, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he took and showed to them his hands, and he showed them his side. Look at what happens to these fearful Jews, these ones that were unbelieving and afraid. It says that they were glad when they saw the Lord. What do you read in that verse? I'll tell you what I see. I see that Jesus shows up to reassure them. I see Jesus shows up to let them realize that it's for real. He is alive. He's not a ghost. These wounds that he holds out to them, his side and his hands, it is more than just identification of who he is. It is evidence of what they have seen happen. Because what they had seen was him crucified, dead and buried, and now what they're seeing is he's alive. No wonder he shows up and says to them, Peace be with you. Jesus said to them another time peace be with you as the father has sent me I now send you fear and unbelief and what does Jesus say shalom God's peace be on you Jesus brings them joy and notice what he does in this in this statement he gives to them as the father has sent me so I'm sending you he's commissioning them he's sending them it's not a A formal ordination, but he's dedicating them to what he sees as their life's work. Take the message of the risen Lord to the world around you. Take his place in the world. You know, when Jesus prayed in John 17, part of his prayer was this. Father, as you have sent me into the world, so I am now sending them. That's us. It's those disciples that day, but it's also us. He's entrusted to them and he's entrusted to us both his word and his work. Interesting. Because if you were to go back to that first Good Friday, that night when Jesus was killed, the ones he's speaking to right here are the ones that disappeared. Those are the ones he now says to them, peace be with you. Don't be afraid. The Father sent me to you. Now I'm sending you to the world. Just as a side note, you know, when Peter stands up the first time to preach, about 3,000 people become Christians. It's a qualification of what Jesus says to them here. I'm sending you. And Peter stands up and proclaims Jesus risen. And 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. And when Jesus Jesus had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Let's let's re-look at this for a minute. Jesus shows up, he reassures them, he commissions them, and now he breathes on them, and he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. You know what that is? That's the enabling power to do what he's called them to do and sent them to do. It ought to remind us of the creation story. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Understand, in both the Greek language and the Hebrew language of the Bible, breath means God's spirit. Breath in the garden means life. And breath in this upper room means spiritual life. Whew. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness, then it's withheld. I want to stop and say something to you. Most of the problems in the world, I believe, are a result of our own personal sense of our sinfulness, of our unforgiveness. Have you ever wronged somebody and not ask for forgiveness, and then you run into them, and and you've got to deal with the fact, oh, you're all perfect, aren't you? You never wronged anybody, did you? This has never happened to you, of course. You know what I'm talking about. We've all had that moment. And when Jesus shows up in the room, remember, they all deserted him. He shows up and he says, be at peace. I'm sending you as the Father sent me. Receive the Holy Spirit. You can do this. Go. You're commissioned. You're enabled. And by the way, you forgive sin, it will be forgiven, and if you withhold forgiveness, it will be withheld. He's not saying to them that you and I, to us, that you and I have the ability to just go around forgiving like a priest on behalf of God. I don't even believe the priest can do that, but what he is saying is is that we need to be about the work he's commissioned us to do, and if he's given us the peace to get out of that uneasiness that sin brings us, if he's given us the peace to get out of that unforgiveness that we feel because we have not asked for it. If he's given us his own forgiveness and he's commissioned us and breathed on us his own spirit to go and do that, we got to do it because the only way the world will be forgiven and have the peace that they can have with God is if we do what he told us to do, commissioned us to do and enabled us to do by the giving of his Holy Spirit. Take the good news The good news of forgiveness and take it to the world. And now we shift gears. Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. You know we call him Doubting Thomas. Jesus eventually is going to rebuke Thomas and say, Be not faithless, but believing. But when faith is overwhelmed by the problems we see, the questions we have, the realities of life, sometimes it's hard to believe. And so the other disciples, as Thomas was missing, came to him and said, We've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see his hands. Unless I see the mark of the nails, unless I place my finger in the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. You see in that verse where it says, the other disciples told him. We read that, and we think it's just like this. We've seen the Lord. I mean, that's what we think, right? The meaning of the word told in this verse means that all of them were repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly saying, to Thomas we have seen Jesus can you hear it we've seen him he's alive Thomas you would never have believed it. he just walked through a wall Thomas we've seen the Lord and he's alive and so repeatedly it's just getting hammered in there on Thomas who wasn't there and Thomas says and in the in this verse in the original language Thomas spits out a double negative that you and I can't see and it's there for him emphasis Peter said, or rather, Thomas says, except I see those nail prints in his hand, except I put my hand into his side, I will never believe. They could have talked to him all day. Thomas wasn't coming around. You ever meet anybody like that? But eight days later, they've gathered again, and Thomas is there this time. The doors were locked. And Jesus comes and stands among them, and he says, peace be with you. Now, if you know your Bible, you know an Old Testament story from the book of Judges. There's a guy named Gideon, and Gideon wants to be sure that he hears God right, and so Gideon puts out what he calls a fleece. Most of you know this story, but basically he goes to bed one night, and he puts out this cloth, this fleece, and he lays it out, and he says, God... If this is what you want, when I wake up in the morning, let that fleece be wet, but the ground around it be dry. And when Gideon wakes up in the morning, he goes to the fleece, and the ground is dry, and he picks up the fleece, and he wrings out a whole cup of water into a bowl. That wasn't good enough for Gideon. That night, the second night, he says to God, Now God, if you you really, really want me to do this, when I wake up tomorrow morning, let that fleece be dry and let the ground around it be wet. And when he wakes up in the morning, the fleece is perfectly dry, but the ground, can you see it? I mean, it was probably like mud. When you read this verse that's on the screen right now, or rather the verse that we had up a minute ago when when Thomas says, unless I see and believe and all that, and put my hands into his side, that's Thomas's fleece. Thomas is saying, the only way I believe is if I see it with my own eyes. Jesus walks over to Thomas. Remember, Jesus wasn't in the room that night when Thomas said all that. Jesus walks over to Thomas and he says, Thomas, give me your finger. Give me your finger. Put it right here. Do you feel that? Thomas, look close. Do you see it? And then he says to Thomas these words. Don't disbelieve, Thomas, but believe. If you were to hear Jesus say this to you and me today, he would say something like this. Stop being faithless. Become a believer. I want to tell you what I think about Thomas for a minute. And I think it's important that we hear this. I think Jesus saw something going on in Thomas that nobody else saw. Now you say, but Jesus wasn't even there. Yeah, you're right, but Jesus is God. You know, I'm one of those people, excuse me a minute, while I spill coffee down my chin, (laughs) I'm one of those people that believe A relationship with Christ happens like this. In a millisecond, God can change our heart and we can enter into a relationship with him. But I'm not going to deny somebody that says to me, they came to faith through a process. That wasn't how it worked for me. It was not This, then this, then this, then this, then this. For me, it was just simply one day I'm sitting in a service where actually I think I was there again for a girl. (laughs) And God got a hold of my heart, and like this, I became a believer. And I lost all sight for the girl, but I had a focused attention upon him all at once, and it's never left me. But Jesus sees in Thomas, not this, he sees a process. He sees something going on in Thomas's heart that's changing Thomas from who he was before to who he's right now when he's saying except I put my hand into his side and see with my own eyes. The writer of Hebrews would say this, take take care brothers and sisters lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall From the living God, focus on that word "leading" right there. Yesterday, around the Akron Zoo, I followed that little seven-year-old boy everywhere he wanted to go, up and over the valleys, did everything he wanted to do. Jesus is talking here, through the writer of Hebrews, about being led away from Him. Beware, lest there turn up in you an evil, unbelieving spirit that will. Lead you away from your belief in the living God. So Jesus shows up to Thomas and he, he gives him something special. Give me your hand, Thomas. Put it right here. Open your eyes, Thomas, and look right here. And I want you to see Thomas's response in this next verse. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God my Lord and my God. I want to go back to that fleece thing for a minute. Wouldn't you like to have what Gideon was given? I'm going to put this cloth out here tonight, God, and if you want me to go to work tomorrow morning, let that cloth be wet and the ground around it dry. But if you don't want me to go to work, just let it all be dry. I mean, wouldn't it be great if God answered us that way? And you know as well as I do, most of the time he doesn't. Thomas is fleece. I'm not going to believe lest I see it and feel it and touch it with my own hands. Doubt is a funny thing. Unbelief for some of us, comes to us in a variety of different ways. Something happens, something occurs. We're ready to quit. That's probably where Thomas was, so he throws out this challenge. I wasn't there in the room with you guys. I'm not going to hear it from you. I don't care how many times you tell me, except Jesus himself shows up here and shows it to me. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. Now, you and I, We just went through Easter Sunday, and however old you are, you've gone probably through that many Sundays or Easter Sundays in your life. And the story has been hammered into your head and your heart to where you know it off by heart. But I want you to know that Thomas didn't have that. Thomas had this. A man he followed for about two and a half, three years put up on a cross, dead, thrown into a tomb, and now there's an empty tomb, and that's all he knows. And one thing that Thomas knows for sure is this. When people die, they don't get up and walk around again. So Thomas is saying, "Huh, I am doubting Thomas, and I don't believe it, no matter how many times you tell me. You could do whatever you want to make me believe that. I'm not believing until Jesus himself shows up and shows it to me. You know early in the book of John John the Baptist gives a testimony about Jesus and the word he uses is the word Lord. Lord. You may remember in the book of John a, a guy named Nathaniel, and Nathaniel says there's nothing good come out of Israel and Jesus shows up and when he meets Jesus and Jesus tells him all about himself Nathaniel says my Lord There it is again. Jesus himself, on several occasions in the book of John, calls Jesus Lord. When Jesus pushed Peter to the test and said, Peter, who am I? Peter, who am I? Peter, who am I? Peter's response eventually becomes, Lord. When Jesus heals a blind man and he's pushed to the test, the blind man says he is Lord. And when Jesus raises Lazarus, Martha and Mary's brother from the dead, Martha refers to Jesus as Lord. All of them because they experienced Jesus for themselves. And Jesus shows up to doubting Thomas and sticks his hands into those nail prints and shows him his side. And Thomas says, my Lord, my God. Can I remind you of something? All of us live by faith. The question is, what do you put your faith in? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you believing that if it's to be, it's up to you? Or are you trusting in him? Thomas, up to this point, has not placed his faith in Jesus. He's believing that Jesus is dead because that's all he's seen. He's believing that Jesus is no longer coming back because he saw the reality of a crucifixion and friends you need to remind yourself that we all live by faith we all believe in something so jesus in response to thomas's statement is this you've believed because you've seen me blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed church believe in something you've placed your faith in something I don't know what that is but you do it's either yourself or it's him look at what John writes to close this out now Jesus did a lot of other things in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you can have life in his name. John could not end his gospel without pointing out the greatest sign of all, that you and I will never physically see, the resurrection. You can't look back at Thomas and envy him because he had that experience of Jesus standing there showing him. You can't look back at those women and be upset that they had the opportunity to see Jesus for themselves with their own eyes. you got to understand what Jesus says here. This whole thing has been written down so that you can believe even though you've never seen. Earlier in John's Gospel, and I'm I'm finishing up, so please stay with me. Earlier in John's gospel, John records this in John 2, 23. When Jesus was in Jerusalem at a Passover feast, many believed in his name when he saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people, and he needed no one to to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. You might look at that and you might want to say, well, what on earth is that about, Joel? Why have you got us here? They believed for what they saw. But Jesus didn't trust that belief because he knew what was in them. When you get down just four chapters later, John 6, 6, 6, it says that many turned and walked away from Jesus. You know why? Because the sign stopped. The good thing stopped. It came down to the brass tack. Where the rubber hits the road. or life was getting tough. And things were being sorted out. Even the chief priests and the Pharisees in John 11. Gathered the council and listened to what they said. What are we going to do? This man performs all these signs. These miracles. And if we let him go on like this. Everyone will believe in him. They even knew it. Seeing is believing but Jesus said these things are written so that you having never seen would believe remember that 1968 Honda dream I told you about I saw that thing and as soon as I saw it I grabbed my phone because I thought I can't be right and I I looked up Honda dream nineteen sixty-eight. Because every model, motorcycle, car, you know how it is. They've got little particulars about them. It was what I thought it was. I remember when I had to identify that young man I told you about. I remember what his spouse said to me. It's not him. It's not him. No, it's not him. It can't be. You see, all of us... Even though he was identified, she couldn't bring herself to believe that. Even though I saw that motorcycle, I I had to verify it. I had to identify it to be sure. And you know what, church? Let me just stop and say this to you. We live in an age. It's been so long now, this will be a cliche to you. This is an iPhone. Do you remember when they came out with the iPod? It was a wonder you could you could walk around with all your music that you wanted. Something like 64 songs on the first ones, but you could you could have it on there and it was a iPod. You know what's key to that? I. That that was named that intentionally because we are so focused on ourselves. What is this thing called? It's an iPhone. What's it about? It's mine. Mine may look like yours, but I know mine because mine has these certain apps on it. It's got a certain picture on it. It's got a certain way it opens up. It's mine. It identifies with me. We live in a world right now that is so caught up in me. We want everybody to identify who we are, what makes me different. And I think that's the key to this identity crisis. We are so caught up in thinking that we have to determine who we are. We've missed the message that we need to identify who he is. These things are written so that those who have never seen yet will believe. That they will be able to identify based upon the witness of the account of a bunch of people that were just as common as you and me, that the tomb is empty, the Lord is risen, and because he rose, people's lives were changed. Thomas and Peter and all of those 12, but then the 3,000 in the book of Acts, and then ultimately the church as we know it today, it all came about because folks have chosen not to identify who they are, but who he is. Let me tell you who you are. Go back and read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You are formed in the image of God from the dust of the earth. You were created in his image. God's thumbprint is on you. You are the highest masterpiece of his design. But Genesis 3 tells us something about us that we really don't like to claim. We're sinners. We took that piece of him And we not only took it and rubbed it in the dirt, we wallowed in it. And because of that, sin has entered into our lives to the point that we're disfigured. That when God looks at us, he knows who we are. But he sees that disfigurement of sin upon our lives. And when he came to figure out a way to place us back to who he created us to be, It came one way, and that was through the cross of Jesus when he died there. But in order to confirm that what he did was his masterful plan of love and life to humanity, three days on the first day of the week, the tomb is empty. And the story goes out, and because he lives, you and I can live also. And because he lives, he's forgiven us of sin. And because he's forgiven us of sin, he's called us to himself. He's forgiven us. He's commissioned us to take the message. And he's breathed on us the Holy Spirit. He said, the peace I've given to you, you take it to the world that needs to hear it. It's amazing what believing can do. It's amazing to me that the week of Easter, Holy Week, you know what everybody was looking at and and, and and paying attention to, an ex-president that got arrested, instead of what happened on that first day of the week when the women went to the tomb. That's what this next song is about.